Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Ed Good decided to write about something he created with love and affection. And by the time you're done hearing about Bob the Skeleton on the trail, you might be hooked too. Hey, Ed, how are you? Great. Good. This is Alice calling about Bob the Skeleton on the trail. So how are you? I'm living the dream. How are you? (laughs) Where are you? Where are you living? I'm in Michigan. Oh, what do you do there? Well, I'm kind of retired, but my wife says we need to do other things. So we're we're restoring a house up uh, about 100 miles north of where we're at, in uh, just east of a town called Frankenmuth, Michigan. It's Beautiful. It's a tour- touristy trap, but we're out in the country. Nice. What did you do when you were working? You know, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, but I couldn't throw a curve and I couldn't hit a curve. <laughs> um, we had a family business, which was landscaping and greenhouses and uh, uh, working with family sometimes is stressful. So I took some years off and joined the Navy and got to travel around the world to see how other things were and came back, got married, had kids. He retired, played softball, and there's my history. And now you're writing about Bob the Skeleton. You know, it's kind of ironic. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's something about I lost a bet. But um, I realistically, if I could take this book in my hand and take it to my 10th grade English teacher and say, hey, look, you were the one that said I couldn't put two sentences together. (laughs) I'm here. I'm a published author. So. Did Bob come to you in a dream? I mean, how did how did this come about? No, Bob, um, we decorate. We used to decorate a lot for Christmas time, but it gets to the point, I don't like cold weather anymore, and it seemed like I'm up on ladders and sleet and snow and putting lights up, and I go, you know, that's just not as much fun as when I was much younger. So yeah. my kids like to decorate for when they were younger for Halloween and uh, the weather's nicer. I happened to be in, and I don't remember if it was a Home Depot or a Michaels or where it was. And it's been a number of years ago. And, you know, you, you search a 70% off bin and uh, here's this dusty old skeleton. It's like a five and a half foot skeleton. And uh, it, it looks like he's had, he's had a rough life. I mean, I think he's been, in and out of storage, you know, probably a couple of years. And I go, well, you know what? He was 70% off or whatever. So I said, well, let's take him home. And, well, you know, and then, you know, we, we put him out with the other decorations for Halloween and, you know, the pumpkins. And I, I do a lot of woodworking and made a lot of uh, wood pumpkins and things. And then, you know, here it's about the first week of November. And this is a few years ago. And I go, I don't have a box big enough for him. So, <laughs> and I go, well, let's, you know, if you just pack them up, 
he may or may not have brittle bone disease. So I said, oh. the chance of me packing him up and, uh, you know, falling out of the attic and uh, out of a box, you know, there's a good chance that, you know, he could break bones. So I said, you know, let's leave him on the front porch. And, you know, Thanksgiving was coming and I had some, um, I had made some wooden turkeys. So I fit him for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I put a Santa <laughs> hat on him and uh, he sits on the front porch just kind of watching he watches the world go by. So he's a skeleton for all seasons. He is. Uh, and, you know, the most popular season, you know, I think baseball season he loves, but I think we all live vicariously through whatever our first book or writings were. So, But his favorite time of the year, believe it or not, is St. Patrick's Day. Oh. Um, we're a short walk from... Down uh, the city that we live in, and um, and our front porch is five or six feet from the sidewalk. And you know, he he had a green hat and a green vest and green suspenders. And my my daughter one year brought a green plastic mug and put it in. You know, he's not real flexible, so it looked like it was pouring out. But <laughs> um, I had him actually sitting in a in a tree right by the sidewalk, and people that may or may not have been overserved were stopping and taking pictures with them. And I, I think there was a time where there was 15 or 20 people taking, standing behind him in my driveway, taking pictures of him. Well, go Bob. So this is a book. Does Bob have thoughts about these various seasons and the people that take pictures with him? Uh, Bob is, you know, he's quite tight lipped. I think he oh. kind of mm. goes with the flow. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think the one time I had him actually uh, sitting next to a tree and we had a we had like a freezing rain ice storm. And uh, when he got he got froze down to the dirt, I don't think he cared for that. Mm. But yeah. he, he, he's pretty easy going. He doesn't say much. Uh, well, you know, in your book, how do you lay out the story of Bob the Skeleton? You know, this. How it how it all evolved was kind of it was kind of it just kind of happened. I you know I would I would he would be out on the front porch and you just you know for Christmas time and just see what what goes by and the the kids that waiting for the school bus and seeing him in a Santa hat and uh, uh, you can hear people and he's kind of he's kind of I don't know if he's infamous or famous or but he's been on the local, was in the local Facebook pages a few years ago. And uh, I know the one one time that uh, for some reason he wasn't on the front porch. I think he was in the backyard in the pool. You know, people came by and, you know, I was out watering the flowers and said, you know, what happened to the skeleton? I go, well, he's, he's in the pool. He's taking um, a bath. You know, it's 90 some degrees. Where would you? Where would it be a better place? So, I mean, I've had people concerned when they didn't see him. Well, uh, now can they stop by and pick up a book about him? Um, I do have books here, but I, I, you know, people that have talked, that have stopped and talk about him, uh, he's kind of an icebreaker. And I said, well, you know, he is, he is a public, he's in a published book. And I go, it, believe it or not, is it's on this little bookstore called 
Amazon. I, you may or may not have heard of it. I go, <laughs> he's on Apple. And I do the local uh, libraries here. I've, I've taken taken uh, copies to that. In fact, the, the city that, well, it's not a city. It's one traffic light town that oh. we're moving to. Mm-hmm. I took a copy up to their library. So, yeah. and uh, I got some feedback. And uh, in fact, the one lady that I'm in an art council with, she's 92 or 93. And I got a, a letter from her the other day. And oh. she goes, I, I was going to give her a, a book at, at the meeting. She goes, no, you don't have to do that. I bought one. I go, okay. I said, well, at least bring it in so I can, you know, autograph it. She goes, okay. So she brought it in and she goes, well, I got to get it right back to my son. Well, the book passed through, I think, six or seven hands. And uh, so that was that was a good thing. That's a very good thing. Is there a moral to Bob's story? I, th- you know, I think with all that we've gone through in this pandemic, and you know, we all got tired of. In fact, we just got tired of listening to the news that we, 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 we didn't turn the news on. You know, you turn on. Uh, you know, we're big proponents of. Uh, Turner classic movies and older movies and sometimes you watch uh, you go back to some of the nostalgia stuff because you just got tired of it you know uh, Bewitched and uh, May, uh, Mayberry RFD in the Carol Burnett show and you forgot how how funny that was and you know yes it, it, what had happened was a serious thing but you know you, you just have to take a got to take a step back and, uh, you know, take another cup of coffee. And I didn't want to write this. You know, it never started out as a book. I, you know, I would write paragraphs and paragraphs and somehow an uh, editor got a hold of me. She goes, can you send it to me? And I go, well, really, I can't because it's on this piece of paper and that piece of paper. I said, so I said, you know, give me four or five weeks. Let me put something together. And I, you know, I'll, I'll edit it myself. And I edited it about four or five times. And I said, but I don't want it to be a long read. And I said, if you want it to be on quote unquote, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, this isn't it. I said, I said, it's going to be, uh, so, you know, uh, a 10 year old can pick it up and read it. A teenager, an adult, an older person can pick it up and just, you know, it's it's a quick read and uh, you know when it's all said and done you you know it it just just put a smile on your face and that's what I kind of tried to do and the, the follow up book that I've been working on is um, same title but on the road so it's I think Maury Safer did a thing on sixty minutes where they did you know uh, there was a section of on the road. Right. And, um, and it's right. Kind of like, uh, I think it was movie? Charles Kuralt. Oh, Charles Kuralt. He's out there on the front porch. I think he's probably freezing his bones off today because yeah. he's kind of in the middle of, you know, he took off his uh, Nutcracker T-shirt and his uh, between Christmas and um, St. Patrick's Day. So I don't know. I don't know what comes 
got to be a I, National Hot Dog Day or National Something Day. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Google it. There's so, probably something. Or put a scarf on him. Where Where's he going? Where's he traveling to? Do you have an itinerary yet? Well, I've done bits and pieces. He he, mm-hmm. uh, he he's taken a couple of road trips to our new house, and you get straight. You know, you got to seatbelt him in because you don't want him bouncing around. Yeah, and, no. Uh, you get you get kind of people kind of smiling and pointing, driving on the freeway, and um, he's he's been to the golf course. Um, he sets up on my daughter has property in northern Michigan which is about four miles from Lake Michigan. And we had had him picking up uh, seashells and, you know, Petoskey stones and then sitting, sitting on the, on the rocks, watching the sunset go down. Sweet. That must be a beautiful shot right there. uh, I, I, you know, they, I wanted to include pictures. There's a number of pictures in the book because, you know, you can, the pictures kind of tell a story as well as the words. I love it. Well, you know what? I'm looking forward to the follow-up. I, I really am. So I'll be talking to you again, all right? Okay. <laughs> you have a great day. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Alice. You have a great day, too. Take care. Bye-bye. Dev Tovar is up next, and I have had the pleasure of talking to him about all of his books. This one, the fourth in his series, The Hollers, Transtemporal. Hey, Alice, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. So I heard you wrote a book. I did. <laughs> uh, the fourth one is um, it's The Hollers, Transtemporal. The actual name is Transtemporal. So uh, it's an alternative ending to my th- third book, actually. Uh, all right. So let's for let's assume people don't know What's come before this? I, I've had uh, three books before this. It's uh, Bellowing Hollers, Whispering Hollers, and then Howling Hollers. And I was actually doing the last read on Howling Hollers uh, in 2020. And I always multitask. So I was watching the news and it was uh, a lot of the, I call it the pandemic in my book. The pandemic information was going through, you know, the social distancing, closing schools, closing businesses and everything. And I was on chapter 46, which is titled Transtemporal. And I came up with this idea for this book. And it kind of puts a Tovar spin on all the mandates that were going on in that type of stuff. So kind of explains a lot of what was going on in 2020 in uh, my version. So you call it the plandemic as opposed to the pandemic. Correct. Yeah. Explain that for me. Yeah. It it, it was uh, really shocking with, um, you know, everything that was, I mean, going on. I mean, um, everybody was there, you know. Um, Then, the, for example, the toilet paper shortage or whatever was going on with that. All of a sudden, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and write this book and just kind of explain in my version what's going on. Okay. So so tell me what's in your book. It's basically an alternative ending. My other books, they, you know, it leaves the ending wide open and it kind of frustrates uh, some of my readers. It's like, man, when's the next one coming out? Well, this one, like I said, it's an alternative ending and it's kind of a doomsday kind of book. 
So I, you know, I don't want to give too much about it, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's uh, an alternative ending to your series because yes. you have this is part of a series. Correct. Tell me about your series. So I've never heard anything about this. Okay, series. So uh, on bellowing haulers, um, it's it's basically these two two gals uh, go out on this road trip and they end up in this town that they can't escape from. Um, and, you know, just a whole, whole bunch of different stuff happens. It's a suspenseful mystery is what it is. And so, you know, they finally get out of that, out of bellowing hollers. Well, you know, it's like a couple of years later, um, they go on another trip uh, together to howling hollers. Um, and each book, uh, like, um, well, howling hollers is my third one. Like in howling hollers, it pretty much explains, um, what is going on in the world? You know, there's um, the Earth's guardians, you know, that are protecting this world. Um, so, you know, it's, it explains a lot it, it, each step of the each book. Um, so, on for example, on this transtemporal, the Earth's guardians have been taken out. So there's nobody protecting this world anymore. So, you know, that's that's the spin on that book. But like the Howling Haulers, it, it's still wide open. So I'm just getting ready uh, for the next, you know. Well, let tell me about Angela and Joan. They're the Earth's guardians, right? Yes. Angela and Joan are uh, Earth's guardians. Uh, they... They've been guarding the well. Angela's been guarding the world for you know centuries, and Joan. They're in a weird way of vampires, you know. So she's transformed into one of Earth's guardians. So it's it's a unique spin on vampires. Um, you know, it's different than anything that I've ever seen. So, well, your your vampires aren't bad vampires. No, they're good. <laughs> they're the they're Earth, good. Pick. Yeah, they're definitely the guardians of the world. Um, they, it, you know, I I always put um, cats in my book. You know, to me, it's like the, the cats have this power to, to you know, do the telepathy from a from person, and you know, they've got a better perspective. Um, on on the world than people do at some points. So it, you know, in the the, the Hollers Transtemporal, it explains why they're trying to take out all the animals of the world. You know, they don't like um, they don't like the cats because you can get an insight from from it. You know, so they're actually trying to kill all the felines and. The humans are trying to kill the cats? Correct. Yeah, but it's it's more... Because it, they know more than we do. Right, and it's uh, it's the people taking over the world. It's the, the ETs uh, that are taking over the world are really in control, and they don't... But people don't know, don't see it, don't recognize them because, you know, they're in disguise. So, right. you know, they're disguised as humans. So, yeah, it's kind of a unique book so I, I love it well I can tell that do you have a following at this point I mean how 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 many years has it been since your first book so I've, I've been writing for about five years um, I've got um, 
my website's destovar.com and I've got a link, you know, that if anybody wants to get a hold of me, but it's, um, you know, kind of keeping track of, uh, my books. And if, if anybody wants to, uh, write or whatever, you know, I've got a link, like I said, give me some insight. I, I like getting, I like getting the emails and getting the responses that I do. So you, you have a pretty good fan base at this point. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, when, it, it, like I said, if you, if you enjoy uh, suspense, uh, it's more like suspenseful, um, mystery, a little horrific at times, then, you know, these are definitely the books for you. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for, for, you know, aspiring authors that might be listening, um, I think the biggest issue for a lot of authors is drawing attention to their books. And it sounds like you made a Facebook page and that's how you've been able to attract people to your writing. Yeah, I've got, I've got Facebook, um, I believe Instagram and yeah, I've got, a, I've got a few ways that, you know, I've got, I've got the following going. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, every time I have a release and I'm about ready to have a party for this transgender, I usually have a big party and, you know, invite everybody and you know it's just a it's just a fun thing it's to me it's, it's just fun and it, these are like my new babies you know each right. book that comes out it's great do, do you have a party at your house like a book signing um I, usually i pick a, a venue somewhere and yeah just kind of you know have it catered and my i've got musician family and and friends so they come and play and you know basically just a big party so. That's great. That's yeah. great. That's reason to write a book right there. I, I think so. <laughs> good party is always fun. All right. So what's next? Um, I've got some things going on. I've uh, been spending some time up in North Dakota, and I've gotten a few ideas. And I think I might uh, go again this one more year and, and wrap it all up. And uh, my next book... Uh, <laughs> After the howling haulers, um, I think I've got one in mind, and it's uh, silent haulers. So, oh, so this series uh, is not over yet. It's not over yet. All right. Finally, if you're the entrepreneurial type, listen closely to our next guest who shares his adventures of a serial entrepreneur. Hello. Hello. Hi, Bill Forehand. Yes, it is. How you doing? Okay. This is Alice. Hi, Alice. I'm calling to talk about your book. Good. Good. Where am I calling? You're calling uh, Florida, South Florida. Are you still a serial entrepreneur? I, I retired five years ago, and that's why I decided to write the book. I was sitting around bored, and I had to do something. So that's, that's why I wrote the book. Well, you strike me as somebody who has a lot of energy. You would have to to accomplish all that you accomplished in a lifetime. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> and modest. <laughs> so listen, you felt the need to write this book. Is it because you want to help people who are trying to be entrepreneurs because you see the mistakes they make? Or did you just want to get down all the things you've done on paper? All of the, all of the above. Basically, I wanted to... I wanted to have something to keep my brain working instead of watching 20 hours of television every day. And I figured at the same time, 
people could learn about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And there's just, there's, I would say hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs out there that like to tell their story. So I thought I had a unique story and I was encouraged by other people to, to do it because behind every, every transaction is a story to be told, whether it be a incredible sale done in one day that's worth four and a half million dollars to a stranger up to something as simple as buying four or five a motor coach business. So it's, it's all over the place with, with travel being the lead factor of what I try to do is buy companies that would help synergize the companies I already owned. How did this all start? What kind of a kid were you? Were you, what, were you the kid who could never sit down? I was the kind of kid that started work in high school, 40 hours a week. Doing what? I was a butcher. You're a butcher. Hey, Bill, let me ask you this. Do you have a TV on right now? Yeah, shut the door on you. I'm in, I'm in, let me give you the setting. Right now, there's the setting. I'm sitting in a bed uh-huh. in a hospital. That's what? Talk. Yeah. What are you doing in a hospital? I have high blood pressure. Ah, uh, Bill. And... Oh, I'm sorry. Well, that's, that's okay, but that, that's that's the setting. So if I stumble through words and stuff, it's because I'm stumbling, trying to think and talk at the same time. Yeah. And that's nothing to feel sorry for. Okay. It's just a fact of life. I mean, how many companies did you end up starting? About 60. 60 companies. I mean, does it take a certain kind of person to accomplish what you manage to accomplish? It takes somebody that has a lot of initiative. I mean, why is it that most people fail? Would you say most people fail? When they say 51% don't make it to the second year. Yeah. Well, okay, so that's half. Yeah. Half, half the people don't fail. And and what is it? I think of it as people setting unrealistic goals. Okay. Number one. Number two. The, the underfunded. That's the biggest reason. People they have don't. ideas, but they don't know how to fund a company. Well, without, I, without cash, you're in trouble. Well, I mean, isn't part of being a successful entrepreneur, you have to get investors. You have to convince investors to give you money. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. What's the secret to that? Well, I did a couple of public companies. took them public. Seven of them, as a matter of fact. So I went to the public arena to raise money. And uh, I, I didn't dare take any money from any friends or relatives until just the last few months when I struggled to get the money to put this book together. I needed the money for marketing because all marketing, like any business, the book is a business. If you don't market, it's, you, you die. Right. Did your businesses have anything in common? Yes. They, uh, I'll give you an example. I wanted to get in the incentive travel business. Incentive travel business where you go to sell destinations to corporations that want to motivate their salespeople okay. to reach certain goals and objectives. If they reach them, you take them on a trip. The trips are normally exotic, seven, seven nights and eight days to, to, to Europe, to Hawaii, to Rio de Janeiro, uh, sales meetings to La Costa, 
the West Coast, the East Coast, the opposite of whatever they live. That, that's the first thing. That's how I got the business for myself. It's incentive travel companies. Now, what you need for an incentive travel company is your commissions from your suppliers, your hotels, your airlines. So I was, in order to earn a commission, you've got to be appointed as a travel agent with the various society of travel agents in order to get commissions. So the first thing you do is get an incentive company with sales. Then you get the airline that will be paying you commissions. So that's that's two that's one one business right there. And the other thing that you need to do is get some corporate travel, which is a different industry. That's where you handle the travel needs of the day-to-day business travel that needs a, a car rental, a hotel for a night, etc. So I ended up buying a travel agency that had some revenues that could cut my airline tickets to get my commissions. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's two businesses right there. We motivated salespeople to be to be successful, and then we take them on trips where they build relationships with their, let's say, their owners, senior partners. Because you take somebody on a trip for a week to, to London or to to Paris, you, you get to know them pretty well. You have a chance for dinners with seven different people, lunches with seven different people. We set them up so that it's all prearranged. That the, it all boils down to how much money they can afford to spend. And uh, that's where your budget comes involved. So you're you're talking about the company, how much the company is willing to spend to to take their top salespeople right. on per, these per, trips per person, right? In other words, an insurance company, which I had several of them, because you can imagine an insurance salesperson has the opportunity to win a trip by selling life insurance. It was the first business I started. Board Vision Planners was instead of travel company. Second business was I called the travel agency Motivation Travel. And then I said, see, you know, these things have a lot in common. Let's start an advertising company because you had to start marketing the company. So I called that Motivation Advertising. From there, I began to buy companies that were related. Ended up buying 11, 11 different travel agencies over a period of time as an example. And I, I said another example was I got into the tour operator business, which again is travel. And the the tours I was operating were to Biloxi, Mississippi. Why? Because they have gambling. Why? Because people like to gamble. <laughs> so I started it up. I needed an airplane. So I went out and bought an, air, an aircraft. 727, 130 passenger airplane. So we'd fly him to Biloxi, Mississippi and get to Biloxi, Mississippi. They have to get to the hotel. So I bought a motor coach company. Motor coach company greeted the people at the airport, took them to the hotel. They only started selling, they came to the hotel, they might as well take some tours. So then I started a tour operator business from Biloxi, Mississippi to uh, New Orleans and local. So from there, as an example, there's three more companies all related in the travel industry. I sold motivation planners, the first company I owned. To American Express. Oh, well, that'll do it. That'll do it. Did you ever have a misstep? Did you ever make a mistake? Yes. I got in the, I got in the sports business. 
sports business. I had bought us a home up in northern Michigan so I could have something for the kids to do when I had some free time. And we we went up to Charlevoix, which is an area where it's sightseeing and it's also a resort community. It's on the west coast of northern Michigan. The first weekend I went in through the town to see what I was buying. There was a sports store there, 1,000 square feet, but no products. So I went in and I saw the guy. I wanted to, I wanted to take some skis out. So when I was in there, I said, Where, where's your inventory? He said, I can't afford it. I said, I can't afford to stay in business if you had no product to sell. He was a young kid, like 22, 23 years of age, college graduate. That was a runner. I said to him, if you put a business plan together, I'll give you the working capital you need in order to start your business. And he says, would you be interested? He says, oh, I'd love to. So my parents think I'm, dude, I'm stupid to have a, my own business. I said, that's what entrepreneurs are. They're stupid. But they're, that's what makes America great. I said, I'll be back up for next week. Can you give me a plan in one week? Which he did. I gave him the money. Gave him cash right in the spot. Took care of his debts he owed to his parents. Showed the store up with $250,000 of the merchandise. And I noticed that when I came to the town, the town had a movie theater that was closed up, boarded up. I said, What's what happened here? It used to be all, it's a lumberjack town. And they used to have, just like you see on TV, a, a real saloon with dancing girls in it. And it went, went from dancing girls to movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And the saloon, as it was, part of a business. When they had cut down all the woods, they were allowed to cut down the woods. And it had been vacant for about four or five years. And this is a small town. It's two blocks by two blocks on the water, which okay. gives us some, some value. Lake Charlotte was the largest lake in Michigan. It's 16 miles long. It exits at Lake Michigan. And from there, they go to Chicago and they go to Milwaukee. So uh, right away, I'm saying, okay. well, Let's turn this into a, a movie theater. Things have changed. We don't need to have a, a saloon, so to speak, because there had to be a saloon right next door already that was part of the deal. So I ended up buying that, the movie theater. And the movie theater was connected to a, a brothel house. <laughs> it, it, it had been closed for a number of years. It was, it was 100 years old, anyhow. So we went to the, to the state, and we said, we'd like to turn this into a hotel, condo hotel. And this would upgrade the image of the town. And it would we could, we could save a few bucks by using it to uh, be discounted. Long story short, we ended up finding a partner that was right, happened to live in the same town I lived in. And we built 15 units. That was a condominium. It's called the Atrium. Atrium Inn. So you see how it spun off to synergy. So, so this story that you're telling me about the ski shop and the saloon and the movie theater and the brothel, I, I asked you if you had any failures. That doesn't sound like a failure. Well, it's just one of the story. I decided to get into the business in a big way. And I bought two more, two other cities, 15 miles apart. That I ended up buying those businesses up and we were undercapitalized. I put two and a half million dollars, put three and a half million dollars into the business, sports business, called Adventure Sports. And it was downhill skiing, mountain bike, 
and lost two and a half million. Oh my gosh! But you recovered. Yeah, I recovered. The amazing thing, basically, the way I recovered was I got into the business of testing blood for drugs and alcohol. That's mind-boggling. That was I made fifteen million dollars in the second year. Totally different industry. I mean, the other thing that I've always heard about very successful people is you're not afraid of anything. You're not afraid to take a risk. That's what's, that's just, that's true. It is true. That's definitely. You have to be a risk taker. We want to lose everything you put into it. Most entrepreneurs will risk everything they've got in order to be successful. And the majority of them are failed. So I'm trying to help the ones that failed understand that there's risk. I say it several times in the book. If you can afford to lose everything you've got, then you can be a, be a serial entrepreneur. A serial entrepreneur is an entrepreneur that never stops wanting to keep trying and trying and trying. Yeah, you know, I mean, it sounds like you could turn this book into the basis for a, a class or a lecture series. I agree. I'd like to start. A, I'd like to start a movie with it. Would have romance to it? Would have danger to it? Example: We ran conventions also. An example is outlined in the book was a a realty company that sent its realtors to destinations if they accomplished so much in sales. Right. Hawaii is one of the best destinations in the world. And I, I got a lead from my Hawaii operator. It's called Ground Operators. These are people that have motor coaches and they meet the people at the hotel, at the airport, et cetera. Anyhow, this person was not returning my calls. So I got persistence. I'm going to call this person every day until return my calls. So I started calling it. At first, I found it was a gal. found that she was 30 years of age, had two kids. Everybody liked her. I said, it's okay, this will be fine. As it turns out, I find out they, they happen to be in the same city I have a client in, in Kansas City. What are the odds of that? Yeah. Being a mile, a mile away from where I already have a million-dollar account called Amico Oil. So I, mean, I, had, I had some big-name companies. So I, I finally uh, I had to go to Kansas City for a sales call. I said to my sales guy, I want you to call this number every two hours until they understand you're not going to stop calling. I asked for 15 minutes at a time, and that's all I asked for. So sure enough, I go, and about the third day I'm gone, she accepts my invitation. She says, I'll give you 15 minutes. So that's all I'm going to give you is 15 minutes. I said, fine. So I go to a flower shop. What do I buy? What do you think? I don't know. Hawaiian lace. <laughs> I buy 30 Hawaiian lace. I first say, I call her, how many people in your, in your office? Well, I don't know. I'm about 30. So I order, I order them in advance, 30 Hawaiian lace. I pick them up in the morning. I come into the office, and the fragrance from these flowers are incredible. Right. So I... The reception says, who are those for? I says, well, the first one's for you. I walk over to her. I give her a kiss on the cheek. I give her the lay. She's blushing and all this stuff. I says, pass the word. If they come up at the front, I'll give them a lay. She says, oh, you're kidding? I says, no, these are for all you people, except one special one, which is for the, the VIP. So in a matter of about 30 minutes, the place is buzzing. People are running up to the front, front desk and getting their flowers. Getting their lays, and I spell it L-E-I. 
And then, so finally, the VIP, that's what I call her, here's all this commotion going on and all this laughter going on. And the fragrance all of a sudden gets to her. She says, what is going on? So they tell her, she says, bring him in here right now. And she comes in. And we had such incredible chemistry. We just looked at each other. We just laughed out loud. As long as we took each other to the humorous events. Before the day was over, within the first hour, I convinced her that we were the company that she should deal business with. I convinced her that she should call up her current supplier and fire them because they were doing half of things right. So she, I said, I'll do that if you, if you have an appointment for tomorrow morning to meet with the owners so I know I'm going to be in front of them. So she says, I'll do it. So she makes a phone call, says, I'm here with an Hawaiian operator, and I've decided I'm going to use them to run the trip. I'm going to use you to help coordinate it. So I'm not cutting you out totally. And the guy, instead of getting mad, said, that's great because we didn't know how we're going to handle 4,500 people. As long as we get some commission out of it, wow. we'll be happy to work with them. So two weeks later, we're in Hawaii booking 4,000 people to come in in six months. I had that customer for four years. 4,500 wow. people, that's four years. There's a lot of people, a lot of money. So that's, that's my story. So now what? Now you got to get now you got to get healthy, right? I'm trying to get the book to maybe maybe healthy. Yeah, and you're going on tour. I hear your wife. You going you're going on tour. Hi there. Uh -huh. is, are, is she your agent? Get on here, wife. Yes, I am. I'm his best. I'm his best uh, fan. Well, listen. You feel better. You get better, and get going on this tour. Sounds great. Okay. Good. All right. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.